Hey, last week I started a short series on little-known truths about the Christmas story. And I talked last week about the shepherd who came to be the lamb. And this morning my title is Swaddling Cloths and the Manger. Swaddling Cloths and the Manger. As we're coming around the corner to Christmas... You know, one of the things I've come to appreciate over the years as I've preached, as I've taught, as I've lectured in Bible schools, is that it is very obvious when you really study the Word of God that there are a lot of hidden gems. And occasionally in some of these gems you see the irony of God's humor. He has a very, very subtle at times, sense of humor, and at other times a very bodacious sense of humor. Uh, It's like just before Jesus ascended on high, after he rose from the grave, his disciples are talking to him, over 500 people witnessed his resurrection or the fact that he was alive uh, after his crucifixion. And uh, he's just about to be taken up to heaven. And we know how he goes up. I mean, he just gets caught up. And here they are on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples are asking him to tell them more about when he comes back to establish his kingdom on earth. And I I always, always get a good laugh at all of that when I think about it, because God had him standing on the Mount of Olives talking to his disciples. And when he comes back, he's coming back on the Mount of Olives. The Bible says that's where he's going to touch down. That's what the prophets prophesied. In fact, the prophets prophesied that when he touches down, he will come down from the heavens the same way he went up. And that's what the angels said to the disciples after Jesus ascended. They said, Uh, why are you standing around looking up into the heavens? This same Jesus will come down the same way he went up. And he's going to come back down, probably knowing God's sense of humor to the very spot where he and the disciples were having that last conversation. And uh, amazing things. Well, I want to share some Really hidden truths, but amazing truths this morning. As we head towards Christmas, I want you to understand that Christmas isn't just about the birth of our Savior. Christmas is a stark reminder that God sent a Savior to rescue us from our own brokenness, our own failures, and our own mistakes, as well as the curses that have been heaped on us through the mistakes of others. Are you ready? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you right now as we start to break open your word that you will break open our hearts by your Holy Spirit. God, at times our hearts need to be just cracked open, and yet you know how to do it with such gentleness, with such ease. You know how to break our hearts open and bring healing at the same time. Everything about you is a mystery. The king who would be servant. The lion who is a lamb. 
the God who can crash through a hardened heart and leave us weeping because of the gentleness and the healing that you bring. We love you. We honor you. We worship you. And we give you our, our attention today. Holy Spirit, speak deep into our hearts so that we will see the truths that go deeper in your word. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, Christmas time, you can't walk into a store or turn your radio on or your CD player without hearing Christmas carols and Christmas songs everywhere you go. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 12. We're going to start with the, one of the very first announcements of this Christmas story. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, Yeshua, the Lord. Verse 12 goes on and says, This will be a sign to you. Now stop for a moment. I want you to think about that. The angel already said, today in the town of David, a Savior's been born. So they know there's a baby. They know he's a male child. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He could have stopped there. The angel could have stopped there and said, here you go. Go to Bethlehem. Today, a little baby's been born. He's the Messiah. Go look for him in the city of David. I want you to understand that. The city of David was only a very tiny city. Uh, in fact, you wouldn't even call it a city, not only not by today's standards, even in those days. It was a town. It was just a little backdrop in between cities. Bethlehem was really a small little place in the middle of nowhere, so to speak. But if all he needed to tell them was that you're going to find a baby who was just born and this baby is a male child and this is Yeshua, this is the Messiah, he gave them enough information and verse 11 could have deleted verse 12. But I want you to take note of verse 12 because in verse 12 he says, this will be a sign to you. And he goes on and he tells them something that is out of the ordinary. You see, we've heard this story so many times, we think it's ordinary. You'll find a child wrapped in swaddling cloth lying in a manger. And we think that's quasi-normal. We've heard it over and over and over again at infinitum. And we don't take note, but the angel actually announced prior to verse 12, you're going to find a newborn baby today who is a male child in Bethlehem. If that was the sign, that's enough news. But he says, this is the sign. This child that you will find will be wrapped 
in cloths or swaddling cloths, if you're reading from the King James or from the original Greek, lying in a manger. Wow. The shepherds were told by the angel this would be a sign to them. And what's interesting is that this sign wasn't given to the wise men. The wise men had a different sign. They saw a star. And they followed this star. Now last week I spoke just a moment about who these wise men were. The Bible doesn't say there was three of them. The Christmas carol says there was three of them. What we do know is that there was a caravan of them. There was a trail of them, quite a few. And the east was east of Bethlehem. Daniel had prophesied about when this Messiah would come. Jerusalem was the last standing city of all of Israel. Israel had been divided into two nations, and it became Israel and then Judah. And Israel had dissipated through wars, and the people had been scattered. Now you're down to Judah, the, the second half of the nation, what was once the whole nation of Israel. It was basically made up of two tribes, and the capital was Jerusalem, the holy city. The prophets had warned Israel, uh, Judah over and over again, you're going to go the same way as your brothers the nation of Israel, if you continue to worship these other gods, if you don't give mind to worshiping Elohim, if you don't give mind to worshiping Yahweh and commit your lives to Him, you will be scattered and shattered and you'll lose your homeland. In all of human history, there has never existed, and this is fact, in all of human history, there's never existed another people group that has been dispossessed for almost 2,000 years and then has come back into a reviving existence and become a nation. In fact, your Bible is so phenomenal and so out of the ordinary that the Word of God prophesied through a question, can a nation be born in one day? And yet Israel will be born in a day. In 1948, the nations of the world recognized Israel as a sovereign nation after almost 2,000 years of non-existence. In fact, not only did it not exist anymore, they had lost their Hebrew language and had to relearn the language from ancient writings that had been discovered. And so the language was put back together again. God had prophesied that because of their much rebellion, they would be dispersed around the world. And you had Jewish folk from, from uh, uh, Germany, from Denmark, from Russia, they came from everywhere after World War II. 1948, just like the prophets prophesied, this fledgling group of mismatched people from around the world started to come together as one people group, the tribes of Israel became a nation in 1948. 
Soon after that, seven Arab nations came against them to destroy them and literally wipe them off the map. And during that seven-day war, this new-founded nation of exiles from multitudes of nations around the world fought off. Without any foreign help, they fought off seven nations, each nation more than five times their own size. They won an astounding victory because all the armies of the world cannot alter the Word of God. Everything about God's Word is more than significant. It's powerful. It's astounding. I'll take anyone on head-to-head if they want to brag about the prophecies of Nostradamus or any other so-called prophet. I have done the studies and I have done the calculations and nothing comes remotely close to the prophetic impact of God's Word. The clarity, the definition, the accuracy, the words so clearly defined, it eliminates the possibility of, oh, well, it could fit this, and it could fit that, and it could fit this other thing. No, unlike prophecies from people like Nostradamus, When God gives a prophetic word, he makes it so accurate it's impossible to fulfill except by the fulfillment itself. That's just a little bit of the Bible lecturer coming out of me. This is what happens when I get into Bible school on Wednesday nights and Thursday nights and we get a chance to go so much deeper than what time allows us. The angel said, this is a sign. You're going to find this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and in a manger. Swaddling cloths, manger. If swaddling cloths were the typical vesture of of an infant, a newborn infant, it wouldn't be a sign. He had already given them enough information in verse 11 if he was just going to be general, but now he's being specific, and he said these specific things will be the sign. This child will be wrapped in swaddling cloths. What are swaddling cloths? Well, they're strips of material. Comes from the word spargano. Sounds Italian, doesn't it? Spargano, spaghetti. (laughs) I must be hungry, I'm thinking about food. (laughs) Spargano, it means to wrap in swaddling cloths. It also comes from the same word, sparasso, meaning to strap or wrap with strips of cloth. What's very interesting is that this wasn't the custom. You might take a baby and take one big cloth and wrap that child and keep its arms tight. But to wrap in swaddling cloth was to take strips of cloth. And this was a practice that was only used by shepherds. In fact, it was a practice that was used on very special occasions. 
You see, when you understand the Hebrew faith, it was necessary that when they brought a lamb to the temple that was worthy enough to be sacrificed, it had to be a lamb that was without spot or blemish. And so when newborn lambs were born, if they met initial criteria and they were looked perfect for all intents and purposes, the shepherds would meet on the outskirts of Bethlehem at the watchtower where there would be these swaddling cloths and they would take these strips of cloth and wrap each limb of the newborn lamb and then wrap the body and encase it so that it would not injure itself so that it would continue to be without spot or blemish. Now, this is a practice not familiar to us, especially in our Western culture, and especially since most of us are non-Jewish believers. I say most of us, non-Jewish believers, and so we're not connected with this type of history. But the angel says, you're going to find a, a, a newborn child, verse 11, in Bethlehem, male child, but this will be the sign. He's going to be wrapped up like a newborn lamb and in a manger. Now, you and I today, we live in America. Thank God we live in America, and so we have commodities up the wazoo, things that we take for granted that, and I wish every American would be able to travel overseas and live overseas in different nations at for a period of time, because I am sure most of you, if not all of you, would come back, and almost the first thing you would do when you get off the plane is you'd kiss the tarmac. We are very blessed in this nation. Now, I'm not saying we have a perfect country. I'm not saying America's utopia. There are a lot of things about America that's broken. But I want to tell you, as somebody who has traveled around the world, preached around the world, and lived in different parts of the world, we have luxuries or we have everyday commodities that are beyond luxuries even in other third world countries. And that's just a fact. That's the absolute truth. I mean, I spent 29 years in Australia. I say Australia, and everybody wants to go to Australia. Well, you have a thermostat on your wall, and with one push of a button, it'll set the temperature in the whole house. Australia, a first world country where everyone wants to go, we don't have central heating, and we don't have central cooling. We are so blessed here. So we think of a manger as just a barn house where the animals would be. Well, I'm going to mess up your Christmas, your Christmas theology and your Christmas story because I'm going to tell you what a manger really is. And so if we look at the word manger in the Greek, manger is fatne, which is it's called a manger. It's a feeding trough. A stall. You see, where the animals would gather, there would be a feeding trough, sometimes made out of wood, sometimes carved out of stone. And it was a feeding trough, shaped a little bit like a crib. But it's the feeding trough 
from which the animals in a stall would feed him. And so the angel says to these shepherd boys, he says, guys, (laughs) by the way, it's believed that these were actually young Levites in training, put in charge to tend sheep that were most likely to be used for sacrifices in the temple. And so the angel says, this is the sign. Yeah, there's going to be a baby boy born in Bethlehem. And yes, he is the Messiah. But here's the sign that will separate him from all the others. He's going to be wrapped up like a newborn land set aside for temple sacrifice. He will be wrapped in swaddling cloth. And you'll find his arms wrapped, his legs wrapped, his whole body wrapped. Because he's going to be presented as perfect and without blemish. You see, that's what's being said behind the line that you and I read real quick in English and hear singing as we go in and out of Walmart at Christmas time. And he will be in a manger. He just won't be in a barn for animals. He's going to be in the feeding trough, wrapped up like a newborn lamb. You see... Uh, Dr. James A. Scudder recently wrote and made the observation that due to more recent archaeological discoveries, there was on the side of Bethlehem, Bethlehem being the city of King David, a watchtower and fields designated for Levitical priests to raise sheep for the constant sacrifices of the temple. And in this watchtower, when they found a lamb suitable at initial uh, observation that would be suitable to be without spot or wrinkle, they would bring it to the watchtower, and there were these swaddling cloths, and they would wrap this lamb and put the lamb in a manger, a feeding trough stacked with hay to protect the newborn so that before they took it to the temple, it wouldn't break a leg, a limb, or bruise itself. And so the angel was giving a very specific mode of recognition. You're going to find a human male child born in Bethlehem, but this is what's odd. He's going to be wrapped up like a sacrificial lamb. These young boys knew exactly what the angel was talking about. And so they didn't have to scour through the whole of the city. They knew there was one place that they would find swaddling cloth, and that was at the watchtower. And so they went down to the watchtower, and there they found this Messiah. Pretty cool, hey? I guarantee you that from now on, whenever you see a little manger set somewhere, this sermon will come running back to your mind, and you'll think, that's not quite how it was. You see, John the Baptist, when Jesus got baptized in water, he said, I want you to behold, this is the Lamb of God. This is the lamb that God prepared from heaven 
to be the sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. Never ceases. Listen, the more I study the Word of God, and I've been doing this from when I was a teenager. Uh, you know, God just put this hunger and was calling me into the ministry. And ever since, the more I read the Word of God, the more I find that everything is connected. The most incidental things, the most meaningless things, and as revelation upon revelation dawns on you, you start to see God's fingerprint and everything comes together and everything is meshed together in one phenomenal tapestry that makes a greater picture. Incredible. What's also incredible is that Jesus came not only to break the curse of sin on humanity, but he came to bring a salvation that is still unfolding. Because of his arrival, his birth, and his death on the cross, it was the first blow to the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of God. The angel said, good news. This is good news to all men. Why is it good news to all men? Because the earth was now encased in a prison shell guarded by demons from north to south, east to west. It had become literally the stomping ground for demons to tread on humanity. You ever wonder why mankind is so broken? Ever wonder why history is filled with so many atrocities? Every kind of sin imaginable because Adam had surrendered his godly right to rule the earth and Lucifer gladly picked up that scepter and became the God of this world and he has been tyrannizing the earth ever since. Isaiah chapter 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given and he shall be called wonderful counselor, almighty God and the government shall be on his shoulders. That's the portion of the Christmas Scripture that we remember. But if you read Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, it talks about a darkness being over the whole face of the earth. And how, as in the day of Midian's defeat, oh, how the Jewish people knew this story. The Midianites, the Bible says, swarmed the countryside like locusts. They were... Uh, Nomads, and they just wandered from season to season, would go from region to region. And when they came into Israel, they would invade and just take whatever sheep, whatever cattle, they would take from the fruit of the vine, and like locusts, they would literally eat up all the hard work of the Hebrew people. And during the days of Gideon, for seven years, the Midianites, year after year, just robbed them of their harvest. There were too many of them for them to even be able to rise up against them. As in the days of Midian's defeat, this is what Isaiah chapter 9 says. There will be a bounty, there will be dancing, there will be rejoicing. 
All of this in the same passage that says, for unto us a child is born. What has that got to do with the birth of a baby in a manger? The verse goes on to say that as in Midian's defeat, the rod of the oppressor will be broken off the backs of the people. The kingdom of darkness was about to suffer a blow so great that they would not have sole authority over the lives of humanity anymore. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would come as Messiah, King of kings, and the servant of all. And through his death, break the powers of hell and bring freedom and deliverance to as many as will believe on him. Isn't it interesting that the rod of oppression across their backs, the evidence of the kingdom of darkness and the tyranny and the sadistic laughter and joy of demons harassing human beings because they were created in the image of God. And here these demons who were once beautiful angels now corrupted by their own perverted hearts and their bodies twisted and their characters demeaned because of the sin that they practiced themselves. They watched in absolute furious anger as God created this mud clay model of a man and then took his image and put it on man. You see, with sadistic joy, they enjoyed putting the rod of oppression across people's shoulders. They enjoyed putting fishing hooks in their nose and leading them like puppets. They enjoyed binding their hands and their feet and manipulating their journeys and leading them into one hurtful situation after another. And for thousands of years, the halls of hell were filled not with the sound of joy, but the sound of sadistic laughter as demons took beings who were created to reflect God's image and tortured them and hurt them and broke them and brought misery to their lives. What is the good news? What's Christmas all about? God wouldn't have it anymore. And God put on a clothing of flesh and became one of us and dwelt amongst us so that he could feel the pain that we feel. He could carry the hurt that we carry. And he could go into the very belly of hell, being rejected by the very ones he came to save. And he could break up the powers of darkness. He is king of kings and has many crowns because he has defeated every demon in hell and Satan himself. At his knee they will bow because they have this 
unerasable memory of that day that this defeated Messiah was lifeless on a cross and they danced with joy only to find moments later he was thundering through the halls of their prison cells and they quickly cowered in fear and from that day on every one of them still bare on their necks the imprint of his foot. Why? Because the Bible says when man first fell and there was an exchange of authority from Adam to Lucifer, God prophesied and he said, Certain you and serp, serpent, Satan, you and your kind will bruise the heel of humanity. But there will come from the woman a seed who will crush your head. The reason why, yeah, give the Lord a clap. The reasons why demons will bow when they hear the name of Jesus is because instantly that name brings them back to a time, a day, and a place, the worst nightmare of their lives. They went from rejoicing to cowering to having the foot of God on their head. And in that sense, the rod of oppression across humanity's back was the government and the torture of that government, the government of darkness. Surprisingly, no wonder Isaiah then flips it and says, and when this child is born, the government of God will be on his shoulders. Hallelujah. You see, Anyone born in a Christ Jesus has been given the right to be sons of God. The rod of oppression of the government of the kingdom of darkness need not be on your shoulders because the kingdom of God is on his shoulders and our shoulders as co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Come on, put it together. <laughs> You see, Jesus Christ came to save the world. In Romans 8, we see Paul talks about how the earth is groaning and moaning in anxious expectation. We see Jesus talking about how as the end comes, the earth will be in travail. It'll go into labor pains. And uh, literally, people don't realize how literal the prophetic words of God are. He said at the same time, earthquakes will increase. Earthquakes from uh, 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 an 8 to a 9 on the Richter scale in the last 10 years have increased by over 260%. The earth is literally going through a labor pain because as we witnessed on what we call that Christmas morning, the birth of the Son of God, he, the earth is getting ready to give birth to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! We sing, He is risen. 
because it sends a shock wave to the kingdom of darkness, a reminder that in him rising, death could not hold him down and the powers of darkness and the kingdom of darkness suffered a horrendous defeat that day at the feet of Jesus Christ. But here's this baby. This will be a sign to you. He'll be wrapped in the same swaddling cloths used for a newborn lamb found without blemish as one being prepared to go to the temple to be sacrificed. These young Levitical priest shepherd boys, they understood the imagery and they immediately went to the tower the watchtower, to see if in that manger a feeding trough. Isn't it interesting? The sacrificial lamb on Passover is the lamb that all of Israel, the Hebrew people, being, getting ready to escape out of Egypt, they had to eat all of it. And they would be delivered the next day. Little wonder, Jesus, just before his death, has a last supper with his disciples. And he says, here, take this bread. It's symbolic of my flesh. You may not want this. You may not get this. But I'm about. I was born and wrapped in swaddling cloth. And I'm going to have nothing but a loincloth on me when I go to that cross. And I will be covered with the sins of the world. But soon, I'm coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't it interesting? The earth groans in anxious expectation. The Bible says that in the restoration of all things, in the renewal of all things, the unchanging nature of God's plan, he's going to bring earth full circle to where it was in the beginning before the fall. And the earth will be relieved and redeemed from the curse. The last curse that will be dealt with, the very, very last thing, Lucifer himself and death, the curse of death. The Bible says that's the last thing that will be thrown in the pit of fire. Every curse that at the moment makes like banded chains around the physical earth, not just humanity, will be peeled back. And Revelations 21 opens up with, and there will be a new earth and a new heaven and a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven and heaven and earth will be as one and God will live amongst us and there will be a new order which is the old order, divine order. Even the earth is about to be saved after the second coming of Christ and after the thousand years, all of it will be renewed and totally saved. The saving power of God goes on having impact and the whole earth will be redeemed from the whole curse. So isn't it interesting? 
And isn't it ironic? And I find it so typical of many of these hidden gems of humor that God has. That here, the King of Kings is the Lamb who will be sacrificed and eaten at Passover. And he's even laying in the feeding trough, even of the animals, because he's the one who will redeem the whole earth from the curse. Everything about the Word of God and everything about God is so complete and tied together. Good news. The kingdom of darkness has suffered a great blow and the kingdom of God even now invisibly and indivisibly is amongst us and better than that it is in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Come on, stand and give the Lord a shout of praise. Come on, put your hands together and praise him. As we get ready to come towards Christmas, this is an awesome celebration! It's not Christmas as it's always been. It's Christmas. Christ, the Son of God, has been born for us. Hallelujah. And whether this is the literal day or not, I don't care. I'm going to take the excuse the world wants to abuse it and pervert it and misuse it. On this day, I will make it sacred unto the Lord because every day is sacred unto Him anyway. The more, the more I study His Word, the more I'm in awe of how not one jot or tittle, little accentuation markers in the Hebrew language, a jot and a tittle, not even those things that seem insignificant will pass away. Kings, kingdoms, philosophies, theories, the arguments of men will all fade away sooner or later. But what will last forever is the endearing Word of God. Come to life in Jesus Christ. Christmas? Heck yeah. But not like the world celebrates it. This is God's the unfolding of his incredible plan. He loves you so much, he could not leave you in the dark. The Bible says, for everyone who accepts Christ and what he did for us, God would give them the right to become sons of God. It goes on to say that the moment we ask Jesus Christ in our heart, we are immediately ripped out of the kingdom of darkness, pulled out of 
the governmental jurisdiction of demons. Do you know that if you don't have Jesus in your heart, whether you want it or not, demons arbitrarily have the right over your personhood. Everyone fights for their independence. Everyone fights to be known and to have their rights recognized. But I want to tell you that there is one political argument that no man can solve. And that is that your freedom will never give you freedom until the blood of Jesus breaks the legal right that demons have over humanity. Talk about best gifts you ever got. This is the best gift, Jesus Christ. For as many as will believe, He will give them the right to be sons of God. He made it so simple. You know what else amazes me? You have two stories about the nativity. One, he sends a sign to magis. And the other, he sends a sign to the poor shepherds. You see, this gospel is all-encompassing. From the highest and the mightiest to the wealthy and the educated. To the broken down, brow beaten people in third world countries. Christ the Savior is born. And we can live in an earthly physical prison. We could live in a third world country. But nobody can rip what's tattooed inside of us. And this is what it says, forever a son of God. Amen. Amen. If you have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, friend, this is the most important decision. Forget about who's going to win the next election. (laughs) We don't have to prophesy who's won past elections and duh, Look where we still are. Forget about who's going to win the next election. Who's going to win the election of your heart? Every time a president is elected, almost 50% of us say, what were those other dumb people thinking? Well, guess what? Until you elect Jesus Christ in your heart, There's nobody else to blame but you. You have sole authority to elect him and allow him to bring divine order and God's government into your life. America might go to hell, but you as an American don't have to. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, and as your Savior. Are you with me, church? Amen. Amen. Every eye closed. If you've never asked this Christ, this anointed one, this Jesus into your heart, until you do, 
because of the first Adam and his failure and his selling out the human race, everyone is subject. Everyone is subject. No matter how smart or independent you think you are, the truth of the matter is, read history. All of humanity is bound to the kingdom of darkness. And the only way out is through Jesus Christ. So right now, across this auditorium, if you want to ask Jesus into your heart, he made it simple enough for a child. Just believe. <laughs> you can believe in Peter Pan. You can believe in Santa Claus. Believe in the Son of God. He knows how you're broken, and he knows how to heal you. He knows where you're hurting, and he knows how to reach you and save you right now. While every eye is closed, raise your hand if you want to accept this Jesus, the greatest Christmas gift of all of humanity. Jesus Christ said, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. You maybe did it years ago, and you've walked away, and you know you're not right with God. I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm here to help you. The door is open. Raise your hand and say yes to Jesus as everyone has their eyes closed. Would you raise your hand right now? Thank you. Right across this auditorium. Awesome. Praise God. Praise God. I see those hands. Thank you. That's great. Don't be afraid. Don't be shy. You could forget all my preaching. This is, this is the most important point right here. You forget all the music, all the clapping, all the shouting. This is, this is it right here. Would you just, would you very respectfully, gently, quietly, reverently put on your evangelistic suit right now? In fact, forget even that. Just put on the heart of a caring human being. Would you turn to the person next to you and ask them, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Would you like to accept him? Come on, do that. Ask the person next to you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. This is, without question, the most important decision you need to come to. I'm not asking anyone to join this church. I'm asking you to join the church of Jesus Christ. Every eye closed once again. If you've just made that decision, quickly put your hand up and put it down again. Just quickly. Yes. Thank you. Amen. Everyone repeat after me. Dear God, Dear God I believe in you. And thank you for believing in me. Jesus Christ, I know you are God. Come in the flesh to save me. And I accept, I receive you today as my Lord, as my Savior. I welcome you into my life. Break the chains of darkness. Forgive me of my sins. 
my mistakes, my own foolishness, and forgive me of the hurts that others have brought on me that I have reacted to. I don't want to be a prisoner anymore. Jesus Christ, I declare today I put my faith in you and I allow you to be my Lord, my God, my Savior, and my friend. I accept you and what you've done for me. Amen.